0: Let's open up God's Word today. I want to talk to you about uh, this is from the Christmas story, and I've titled it His Story, Your Story. Because I think this is what um, it's all about in so many, uh, so many levels. Uh, Larry, just leave this title slide up for a while. I want to talk a little bit about. It. We're going to go to Matthew chapter one and read several verses about the birth of Jesus. But to set that up, we'll start at reading at verse 18. But the first 17 verses of Matthew started out with this family tree. And if you're new to the Bible and you pick it up, somebody tells you, well, read the New Testament. The first thing you're going to see is this long list of names, right? And it's kind of like, wow, this is going to be boring. I don't recognize any of these people. I have no idea what this is all about. Let me just pick one little phrase in there. There's a guy by the name of Boaz that's in that story. Fresh on my mind, because a few Thursdays ago, Raina was was talking from the book of Ruth um, and with the ladies' Bible study on Tuesday morning. And by the way, because of what's going on, there's not going to be a GLOW meeting this Tuesday morning. So I just remind myself to tell you that, because I want you to be sure, ladies, that's not going to happen this Tuesday. Um, but she was talking about Boaz and how his, how he fit into this whole story of Ruth in the Old Testament and uh, she did some pretty deep digging I think because she came up with something I had never seen before. Boaz is kind of a key character they called him the kinsman redeemer, which was sort of a legal phrase in that day but it gave him special rights in that family as a property owner special responsibilities as well within the family so along comes Ruth and if you don't know who Ruth is, very very interesting background. She's not an Israelite. She's from another country, Moab. Her uh, her in-laws... Um, Naomi and her husband had gone there because of the famine in Israel. Their two daughters had married foreign, what they considered to be foreign, foreigners. Both the, the husband and then the two uh, sons-in-law passed away. So there's only Naomi and this daughter-in-law, Ruth. And they decide, hey, it can't get any worse than it is. I'm just going back home. Ruth decides to go along. So at that point, she's the outsider. She's the immigrant. There's no source of income for them. Life is horrible. In fact, Naomi changed her name to Mara, which means bitterness. And she explained it to her friends. And she, I just want you to call me Mara because life has gone sour on me and I am sour on life. Just call me bitter because I am and I don't care who knows it. So these are the conditions that they're under. Ruth decides to go out and sort of panhandle in their fashion, glean whatever was left over in the fields, and bring it home. Hopefully they can make a meal out of that. And then Andrew Boaz, who is the most eligible bachelor in Israel. The guy's rich. He's young. He's good looking. Everybody wants him. Okay, hot in today's language, right? He fought. Then you have this incredible thing going on. Ruth becomes his love interest. And all of this magic is happening. It is a, it's a beautiful love story. But here's, here's the point that I wanted to get to. If you read through those 17 verses there, what you read is something that's totally fascinating to me. Guess who the mother of Boaz was? Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute at Jericho and when and she's the one who housed the spies remember who came and she said to them when she found out who they were she promised to hide them and not give away their secret and she said listen I've heard the stories of what your God did to the Egyptians back there the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff and she said I believe that story and she said I know God's on your side and I want to be on your side too so I want to be on his side And everything changed. This most unlikely person becomes the mother of Joab. And the reason why he got all those verses is because there's a whole family tree of people leading up to Jesus. This is one human story that plays into the story of Jesus and His birth. And that's why I'm saying His story, your story. There's a crossroad. there's an intersection of the two. Oh, the Christmas story is so about that. I'm sure you've heard it said, um, his history is His story, uh, speaking of God. And, and it is that in a lot of senses. But let's be honest, it's not just God's story, it's the human story as well. You've got this blending of God's story with a human story that's never more evident then at the birth of Jesus, when God comes into the world, takes on humanity, becomes one of us. So that's what this is all about. I, I want to talk to you about the story of Jesus and how he got here, what God's intentions and purposes were behind that, and how it relates to your story. So we're going to look at these next verses, 18-25 uh, uh, through 25 in Matthew chapter 1. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother... Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. That's such an interesting phrase, because if you go back to those 17 verses and see how David plays into this story, I mean, there's so many subtleties that are woven into this. It is truly the human story intertwined with the divine story. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, "...do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus." For He will save His people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. We'll come back to that. All of this happened. This is a critical piece of it. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through His prophet. Specifically the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And He will be called Emmanuel. Meaning, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. All right, you're familiar with that story, I hope. I know Christmas has gone a little secular, but I think most of us at least have this manger mentality a little bit about what Christmas is about, all the little figurines. and uh, so that's part. So I want to talk to you about five ways that God's story intersects with your story. And I think these verses point in five specific ways to how this unfolds for us. So let's take a look at the first one. God is always right on time. Look at, look at verse 18 once again. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. For Joseph and Mary, the timing was really bad really bad. They were good kids, they came from good families. This was a this was a social embarrassment for everybody involved. Joseph wanted to distance himself almost immediately. This was their, they called it the espousal period. If you read King James or other virgins, we call it engagement period of time. Uh, it was sort of a blend of what today is engagement in marriage. It's stronger than the engagement that we tend to practice in our society, but not quite at the level of marriage. So they were, I mean, it was legally binding. Their families arranged the marriage. Um, everybody knew about this. There was a period of time when there, there was a, they were separated. They lived in their own family these homes, but the young man was busy building a home for, for his new bride that they would, they would live in together, and uh, there was no sexual involvement at that time, a time of purity and preparation for this marriage, a really special time in a family, and a much bigger deal than we tend to make of it in our society, and this was not a good time for the young lady to get pregnant, because <laughs> you can't hide that. And Joseph is wondering what he's going to do, but he's got a timing problem. And I was thinking about it, so much of my story, and I suspect so much of your story, has issues with timing. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm ready to do this, but I need that, and if that would show up, everything would be okay. How many of you have ever I mean maybe I wonder how many of you have gone through a time when timing was an issue for you or maybe you're there right now. Timing was everything, right? A few of us have been there where timing is critical. History is about the timeline. Facebook didn't invent the timeline, by the way. <laughs> just just in case you were wondering. I was wasn't original with them. Ever since mankind has been interested in tracking history, there's been a timeline. In his story and your story, we all have our timeline, right? On Facebook, you can make it up. It doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be real, but in real life, your story does have a timeline. God's story has a timeline, and there's a point where they intersect, and there are times when it seems like our timing is a mess, because it's not working out the way that it's supposed to work out, and Joseph and Mary were certainly facing that kind of a thing in their life. I want to take you to Galatians chapter 4 for just a moment look at this because it was the the application of this is not just to them Paul broadens this to include the whole human race because he's talking about the birth of Jesus in verse 4 when he says but when the right time came God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves of the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. There's a timing aspect to this. And in God's supreme knowledge, the timing was right when Joseph and Mary were young kids engaged to get married before they were living together. I mean, if you just look at it historically, you can see how it kind of makes sense because the Roman Empire was at near its peak at that time. They had built road systems that were unprecedented in the world up until that time, which made travel so much easier than it ever had been, which played into the spreading of the gospel um, when the church was born after Jesus' ascension. Uh, they also introduced the Greek language and spread that over this vast empire so that there was a, a more common language to communicate in. And much of the Bible was written, original language written in the Greek, because it was a great way, a great form of communication in that day. There are other factors that played in, political factors, because uh, the, the Romans were dominating the nation of Israel at that time. That's how Jesus happened to be born in Bethlehem, because it was the Roman government who called for the census to be held. And it all resulted in Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem. And the death, the death of Jesus, likewise, being nailed to a cross. It was a, it was a Roman form of, of punishment, crucifixion on a cross. And Jesus was crucified in that all in the plan of God. And historically, it all came together at that moment. The time was perfect for Jesus to be born. Here's the whole point of this. Sometimes our timing doesn't make any sense unless we realize that God's timing and our timing will intersect if we allow God to work in our lives in the way He wants to. So it's not just your timing... It's his timing and what he's doing, but he works it all out because he understands all the intricacies of those things far more than we do. But what I love about this story is that it brings a message to us that affects everything in our life, and that is this whole issue of timing that plays into so much of what we're doing interfaces with God's timing, and it becomes one thing, one timeline that we share together his purposes at work in our life. Beautiful thing. The second thing that I want you to see about his story and your story interfacing is that God has a plan for you. And we we say this often, but look how it plays out in this very specific story. Uh, Let's read verses 19 through 20 once again. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, he he was a good man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. Okay, so he had a plan, right? Or at least he's trying to work out the plan. Let's go on to verse 20. As he considered this, which says to me, is he hadn't perfected the plan yet, because it's pretty complex. You know, how how am I... I know what I need to do. At least I think I know what I need to do. My options are very limited there 's a social embarrassment that 's taking place I need to i 'm confused i don 't know how this happened. I need to do the right thing i don 't want to destroy her in the process. I love her, but he 's trying to work out a plan as he was considering he was building this plan in his head, trying to he fell asleep probably wore him out, and as an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And God spoke to him in this moment. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. Okay? God's got a plan. Joseph is working out a plan. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So you got two plans going on here. Joseph has a plan, God has a plan. And at this point, he's got a choice whether those plans are going to intersect or not. That's what I love about it. I mean, we have our plans, right? The Bible speaks of this frequently. We come up, we devise our plans. Some of them interface nicely with God's plans. Others are in direct conflict with his plans for us. And Joseph was confused at this point. I know, I know what it feels like to have plans that just don't go anywhere. In fact, I was, I was thinking this week, when I look around and sometimes I just laugh, like, how did we get here? And John can understand this. How did we get here? It's, wow. Uh, what a story. Because when I think back seven or eight years ago, I was resigning from from a pastorate, and uh, I was in an education program, and I had a plan for my the rest of my career, right? And part of that plan included making some money, which I never had as a pastor for over 30 years. And uh, so I got a job with a small business and a D.C. Air contract with the federal government. And on the day that uh, my boss, who was the owner of the company, hired me, he said to me, I could picture you as a VP in this, com- this company down the road. So I got that picture in my head, and I thought, boy, this works out really well with the plan I have. Well, his plan didn't work out, which meant my plan didn't work out. <laughs> and at and and every level it didn't work out. And uh, Joe and I spent our years just wandering around our own little wilderness wondering what happened. And now we find ourselves in an awesome place with people we love, a place we love. And it's like, how how did we get here? It, It was God's plan that we could not have conceived. And when it happened, it happened quickly. And it just... It went. I mean, it is how God does things. But we find ourselves where there's our plan on one side and God's plan, and sometimes we have a hard time pulling them together. I, I don't do a lot on social media, but um, I, I'm trying to learn that there is another world here that I need to get introduced to. I'm looking I look at. Uh, I think it was a Facebook a post somebody did this past week. And it was just a quote, short quote from Robert Frost's poem. Uh, remember the one, uh, The Road Not Traveled? And so there's this last phrase that's, that's pretty familiar, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I chose the one less traveled. And the final line of the poem is, And that has made all the difference. And I was thinking about it, with regard to Joseph and this whole idea that God has a plan and I mean what he's saying is I came to a fork right I could go that way or I could go that way I can't do I can't divide myself in half and go both places at the same time I had to make a choice and he's reflecting back the poet is reflecting back now over a long period of time and he's saying At that moment, for whatever reason, I chose the path less traveled. And in my life, it's made all the difference. Do you think Joseph maybe could have said the same thing? I got to a point where I had decided that I was going to quietly distance myself from Mary and go my own way. She could live her life. I would live my life. And then God spoke to me and he said, well, there's this other choice you could make. And I chose God's plan over my plan plan, and it has made all the difference. I don't think in that moment Joseph was thinking this is pretty cool because I could become like a figurine in a manger story (laughs) and for the next 2,000 years, every year, people be putting me out there on their fireplace mantle, you know? When we try to figure it out, that's where our mentality goes, right? You know, I think that could work out really good for me. Usually not. He chose the path, and I would dare say the path of God's plan is probably the path less traveled in our world today. It's less understood, it's confusing. It left Joseph still with all kinds of questions and things to figure out. So say I go ahead and I do what you're telling me to do, what's that going to mean? And he finally just had to decide, I don't care what other people think. I'm going to do what I know in my heart God has spoken to me to do. I'm going to go with His plan. This is a beautiful thing. When when God's timing and God's plan intersects with our timing and our plan, it makes all the difference in our lives. And if the Christmas story speaks to us in any way, it's got to tell that story. His story and my story are intersecting, and they become one story. And it's the life that I always wanted, but I didn't know how to get there. And Jesus came to show us the way. Let's go to the third point. God delivers on His promises. Verses 22 and 23. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through His prophet. And this is is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14, I believe. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And he will be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means, the name Emmanuel means God is with us. So what I love about that is, uh, again, history plays into all of this. Two beautiful stories. and if you go back again to those 17 verses at the front part of Matthew, Matthew uh, you'll, you'll see that he talks about this period of time in 14 generations, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to uh, the Babylonian captivity, 14 generations from the Babylon. so you got this beautiful timeline going on that, that weaves the whole story together. Well, if you look at that middle part, the, 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 the part that, from the Babylonian captivity until Jesus There's 14 generations, and that's just about the time that this was written. Just before that Babylonian captivity began. 700 years roughly from the time Isaiah wrote this until it was fulfilled. Matthew's telling us, and this is being fulfilled in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's unmistakable. Because when you go back there, there's a, there's a couple of interesting things going on. It looked like a previous promise that God had made to David couldn't be fulfilled. Impossible. Why? Because of this Babylonian captivity. Because God had said to David, "And I'm going to create a dynasty starting with you, and you will have an ancestor, or a, a, you'll ha, you'll have um what's the word I'm looking for? It's the next generation." A descendant is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Smart people here. (laughs) You'll have a descendant that will sit on the throne as king forever. Well, once they went into captivity, I mean, you read the account yourself in the Old Testament, 70 years they were there, then they came back. Israel never after that had a king to this day. hasn't happened, kind of. But when you read this story... He shows you how that was fulfilled in Jesus. Because right down through that whole family tree, Jesus is a direct descendant. He becomes King of Kings and Lord of Lords eternally. It's never going to change. So it all plays out. But what he's saying here is that the promise... God knew... He had this plan in place a long time ago. And he makes promises along the way about how things are going to work out. This is what brings stability into the chaos of our lives. If your timeline and your plan meshes with God's timeline and His plan. Because His plan is all going to be worked out through promises. I mean, I love, as you do, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11... For I, I know the plans I have for you. I got this figured out. I have it. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And all of the Bible spells this out for us. He's got this plan in place. And he's made promises along the way. And the one thing you can count on are the promises of God. He always does what He says He will do if it takes Him 700 years, which some of us hope today it won't take Him 700 years to work things out in our lives because we're not going to benefit much from that in the near term. But He will always fulfill His promises. And God has made promises that it's going to work out for you if your timeline and His coincide. And that's what He wants for us. That's what this is all about because He's saying, call Him Emmanuel, because it's God among you. These timelines coinciding. It's really, really an awesome thing. And uh, I need to move on because I've got a couple other points that I want to I wrap up with. But uh, th- these things are going on. His story and our story, your story, becoming one story. That's what God wants for you. That's what His plan is. That's why Jesus came here. It was a part of making that all happen for us. Fourth thing I want to talk about as we know this because God is with you. And I, and I want to go back to verse 23 where he says that specifically. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And he's saying to us, this is, this is unmistakable. You can't get this wrong because it's only going to happen once. A virgin is going to have a baby. Alright, only time in history that's going to happen. This is the one. And you're to call him Emmanuel. And the reason why you call him Emmanuel is because God, is, God wants to be part of your story. And some of you haven't quite gotten there yet, maybe. You're wrestling with this. Maybe you're here today just because you, you're looking for something. And I just want you to know, it's as plain as it can be right there in the Bible. God wants to be part of your story. And he's figured a way to do that. And He's reaching out to you today to make that happen. It's really an awesome thing. I think there's a golden thread that weaves itself through the whole Bible. And I don't hear theologians talk about this much. Um, I've read a few things that kind of validated this kind of my own idea. So if it's heresy, just delete this part from the message today. But this this is my thought. I think the golden thread that goes from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the entire story is this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I think that's what this is all about. I mean, when you get to Revelation chapter 21... Very end of the story. It's really beautiful the way God is saying, My home will be with you, with mankind. I'm going to live among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And if you look at various times all through Scripture, that little phrase pops up. Old Testament, New Testament, I will be your God. God wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to live with us. That's part of the plan. When I was a, a senior in college... Joan and I had just gotten engaged to be married. She stayed stayed back in Chicago that year and and worked while I was finishing up my bachelor's degree. And we were really in love. and We were planning a a wedding for like two days after I graduated. And it was at some point during that year, the fall of that year, that I just really wanted to see her. And you know how college students are. We don't plan these things out real well. So here was the plan. The plan was on a Friday after my last class, which was in the morning. So like just before noon, my last class was over. I would have a suitcase packed, small suitcase that I could carry easily. My roommate would be ready, I would jump in his car, he would drop me off on I-44 a few miles from campus and I would hitchhike to Chicago from Springfield, Missouri. That's as far as I had the plan worked out (laughs) other than I would be in Chicago with her for the weekend and somehow I'd magically get back to campus in time for classes on Monday morning. So at first it went really well. Um, I mean, it was less than five minutes. The guy pulled off the highway, picked me up. Where are you going? I'm, I'm going to Chicago. Oh, that's a long trip. I can get you as far as St. Louis. I was great, man. It's like, that's, that's a good start. St. Louis is good. So um, we rode. And while I'm on this three-and-a-half-hour uh, trip from Springfield to St. Louis, I'm starting to realize... This is taking a little more time than I thought it would. <laughs> and then I started think, doing the math on how long, even if I got a ride in St. Louis, wherever he dropped me off, on to Chicago, it's going to take me a while to get there. <laughs> it might be after dark. Hmm. So, we get to St. Louis, and as we're, we're driving through there, and he's, he's saying, well, St. Louis is a big place, where do you want me to let you off? You know, like... Choose a spot. (laughs) I happened to see a sign for an airport, and I said, "Let me out at the airport." I mean, it was just a whim. So he dropped me off, uh, and I had to walk a a ways. But I got to the airport. I went inside. I had a lot of money with me. I think twenty-five dollars in my wallet. (laughs) That's why I was hitchhiking. I was a college student, so I went in. American Airlines had a flight that left in 14 minutes for Chicago for $19. Oh, wow. I still had bus fare to get from O'Hare to downtown Chicago and then I could walk those next couple of blocks uh, from the Drake Hotel to 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 Jones Place. So it's like this plan is coming together. I'm going to be there to see you, baby. So I jumped on that flight and I and I I won't tell you the whole story cuz it gets even more Crazy than that. But I did make it there. My point is this. I wanted to be with her. And love will find a way, right? Love will find a way to make things happen if you want, if you want them to happen. And that's exactly what God is saying here. Love will find a way. I want to be with you. Emmanuel, I want to be with you. I want you to know I love you. I, I want to embrace you. I want to be in your life. I want you to know me. I want to know you in a real and personal way. That this, that's what this is all about. God's saying, I want to be with you. And that's what he planned to do. So his timeline and ours to intersect and become one from that time on. Which is what happened to us for the last 43 years almost. Finally, let's wrap up with this. God is your Savior. The whole story concludes in Matthew chapter 1 with with this simple statement. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife. She remained a virgin until her son was born. Joseph named him Jesus, which means God saves. I don't think I have to tell you this, but can I just remind you we live in a broken world. And for many of us, we live broken lives. Our lives have been affected by the brokenness of other people, and our brokenness has had an impact on the lives of other people, creating more brokenness. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and the curse came down on the world and mankind, there's been brokenness that's led to more brokenness, which has led to more brokenness and more brokenness, and it's never been more evident than it is in our world today. And everybody's wondering, is there anybody that can fix this mess? Our economy's broken, our government appears to be broken, our society appears to be more broken than most of us have ever known it in our lifetime. It's a mess. And our personal lives are affected by this in so many ways. Can anybody fix the mess that we're in? Well, the people of Israel must have felt much the same way in their day. And God said, I've got good news for you. I'm sending my son into the world. Call him Jesus because he's coming to fix the mess. Israel was looking for a national salvation. And whenever you talked about the Messiah, that's where they would go. There would be a ruler. There would be somebody that would overthrow the Roman government, take back their own land, make life good again, restore to them what belonged to them, bring peace and prosperity to, to them once again, get this, get this monkey off our back, and let us go on and live normal, peaceful, joyful, loving lives. God said, I'm going to send Jesus and He's going to fix the mess for you. It's not going to be a national salvation as you're expecting. It's going to be much, much more than that. I mean, we're talking about a salvation on a universal level because when He gets done with His work, the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. You talk about peace. You're going to beat your... Your, your swords and your spears and the plowshares. There's gonna be peace among mankind. You're not gonna need the weapons anymore. Because everybody's gonna be a, it's gonna be a time of prosperity and productivity. He's gonna make all the difference. People are gonna get along. Everything is gonna be restored. Creation is gonna be recreated back to God's original intents and purposes. That's the ultimate. That's the promise that God has given to us. That's the timeline that He has set, and it is gonna happen. But there's also a more personal aspect of it, and that's your own individual timeline. He wants to intersect with that as well. And that's what the Gospel story is really all about. It's the peace that happens inside. Peace will happen outside of us, external to us, eventually. It's the internal peace that He wants to create here and now. And that's what his story, that's where your story and God's story intersect, and it makes all the difference in our lives. And that's where I want to wrap up today. I, I want to pray with you because you might be here this morning saying that's exactly what I need my life feels like a wreck right now or at least the timing is off something's not right I need, I need something beyond my own plans and my own timelines. I need something that's bigger and greater I want to connect with something other than just what I can create and I'm just saying that's what Jesus is all about and that's what if the, if the Christmas story has any meaning to us whatsoever it's that His story and your story become one story from here on. It will make all the difference for now and for eternity. Let's bow our heads together. I'd love to pray with you. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Steve, you're talking to me. This is what I want. I want to receive Christ in my life. I want to be with Him from now on. I want Him with me. I want our story to be one story from this moment for the rest of my life and eternity. I want to receive Christ into my life today. I'd love to pray with you before we go this morning. Would you just slip up your hand so that I I can see you say, yes, that's me. Please pray with me this morning uh, to receive Christ into my life. Anyone here? For just a moment. This is your day. It's God's perfect timing. There's an intersection of everything that's happened in your life up to this point with something God has been working from the other side and today it comes together. Anyone here? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your incredible love that has sought us out because You want to be with us. You want us to be with You. Thank You for Your love and the power of that love that has changed us. From the inside out. Thank You that You are at work, not only in our lives, but in our world. That You have a plan that's greater than anything that we could imagine we're privileged to share in. Thank You. Lord, we glorify You and we pray that the light of Your story would shine from our lives become an encouragement to others wherever we go. In the days of this week, we give it to You for Jesus' sake. In His name we pray it. Amen.